even when I don't see you, you're working. Even when I can't feel you, you're working. Um, I don't know about you, but I needed to hear that promise again today. Uh, there's people in my life who, um, who I love dearly, who are far from the Lord. And sometimes it seems like, gosh, there's no way. How are they going to be reached? And, and what we just sang is, is so true. God can still work even when I don't see him working. Um, we also see him working very clearly in, in other people's lives, though, don't we? And uh, yesterday, Calvary lost another seasoned saint, another longtime warrior, of Virginia Calloway in her mid-90s, probably a member of this church for about 60 years, uh, passed away uh, comfortably with her family uh, in her home in the hill country. And, uh, but we, we, we pray for the Calloways. We pray for their friends and family. Those of us who have lost her uh, feel that, uh, and yet it's her gain, right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, but be, be, be uh, remembering the Calloway family in prayer, especially her husband, as they've been together for so long. Um, and yet when there's no doubt that I, I know Virginia is hearing a God saying, well done, good and faithful servant, enter your rest. Uh, if you knew Virginia at all, you knew how, how hard she served and how diligently she served her God. Um, we have a kitchen in, in the children's building named after her and her husband, the Callaway Kitchen, because of how hard they served. I thought it was fascinating when I came uh, back on staff and, and understood our committee structure that Virginia Calloway used to be our building and grounds person. Like she would take care of the grounds, she would clean and she would facilitate. And it took six men on a committee to replace Virginia Calloway. So just to give you an idea of how we're structured now and what, what she was able to do. Uh, but we pray that God will bless her family and comfort them and, and uh, that they would rejoice that she's lived well and is now with the Lord. In the last few weeks, We've been on a series through the journey, a journey through the gospel of John. We're not going verse by verse, but we're, we're seeing different stories in the gospel of John. And it started off in the new year with a challenge from Isaiah, actually, where it tells us that God is doing a new thing, but will you see it? And I think that's a great challenge for us, that God is a God who delights to do new things. He delights to work. Even when I don't see him, he's working. He never stops working, but, but a lot of times we don't see what he's doing uh, because we're not positioned well, we're not listening, we're not watching perhaps, perhaps we're not in the right frame of mind. And so we, we, we felt, we, we switched to John 1 and felt the invitation from Jesus saying, come and see, come and see. And, and what's great about that is Jesus doesn't just invite us to come and see, he says, I am the God who sees you. In John chapter one, he saw Nathaniel sitting under the tree and he told him, hey, I saw you first. I notice you. I know who you are. Each one of us is uniquely and wonderfully made. And God says, I see you. I know you. I love you. And I call you to myself. And then in John chapter two, we saw that, that Jesus steps into a very ordinary moment and, and we're challenged to see the ordinary. And we thought, well, what's normal? What's great about seeing the ordinary? I see the ordinary every day of my life. But what we see in that chapter is we see that when Jesus engages that, it becomes extraordinary, right? When Jesus steps into a situation, it becomes supernatural because he cares about our ordinary lives. And when we invite him into that moment, we see God work in the ordinary and it's a beautiful thing. And then in John three last week, we saw that, that Jesus says he's the light of the world. He's the savior who's come for all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, would not die forever, but live forever. And so today in John chapter four, what does Jesus want us to come and see? I'd like to invite you to read, open your Bibles or, uh, or look up on the screen and follow along. 
as we read from John chapter 4, starting in verse 5. And we'll read the first section of this passage and then finish up a bit later on. In John chapter 4, starting in verse 5, it says this. So he came, Jesus, to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph long ago. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is about noon day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, it tells us there. In verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. And Jesus said to her, okay, but first go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband for you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Let's pause there in that interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well. We'll see how that continues here in just a moment. But first we see just a simple fact that Jesus approaches this woman. There's some interesting things there. Uh, what I believe God is challenging us this morning through this passage is to see the unseen person. Uh, you know, we used to say hello to each other as human beings. Uh, we used to walk along a hallway and, or maybe a store. And if you came across somebody, you just kind of say, hi, you don't know that person. But, but, you know, there used to be this kind of common courtesy. I don't know if you remember those days, you know, or maybe if it's just a couple of dudes just kind of walking, we just kind of go, you know, just acknowledge that you're a person, I'm a person. I see you, you see me. And we just kind of walk on by. I remember as a kid growing up in El Paso, Texas, and and we would drive into rural West Texas to visit my grandparents. They lived in a little small town. And the closer we got there, you know, we got off the big highway from the big cities and we'd go on these two lane highways. And as, as we got closer to this area, you began to notice something different. I began to notice that as people were driving, as they passed another vehicle, they do the, the howdy wave, right? The, as you, as you pass by, and then there's another one. You know, did you ever notice that? I don't know if that only happened in West Texas or wherever else you grew up. But, you know, it was something that, you know, nobody, nobody necessarily knew each other necessarily. But, you know, you had this sense of, hey, we're all neighbors. We all live here. We're all, there's human beings in that vehicle. And we acknowledge each other as persons. But we don't do that much anymore. And I wonder what it is that we're losing in our society that is causing us to, to dehumanize our interaction. Um, there's probably a lot of reasons for it. And I'll tell you right now, technology is a neutral thing. It's not a good or an evil. It all depends on how we use it. But our technology is surely keeping us from those human interactions more and more. So here's a question for you. How many times does the average person touch their iPhone on a given day? 
Now, I, I was going to do a cool thing where you actually pull out your smartphone and you interact on the screen, but I thought, well, that'd be a little hypocritical. I'm telling you not to touch your phone, and yet here we are doing it. Um, so, but I just, so I'll just have you raise your hand. Does the average person touch their iPhone or smartphone 20 times a day? What do you think? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Uh, how about 250? 250? How about 500? Hey, 500, 600, 600, hey, 600, 700, hey, 75, all right. Um, how about a thousand? A thousand times a day touching it. Oh, you think so? Yeah. I thought no way, but when I read this, I was stunned. The average person touches their smartphone 2,600 times a day. And I'm thinking, okay, somebody's doing it like 10,000 times and they're skewing the average for those of us who only do it like 50 times, right? But when you stop and think about it, you realize, oh, and I've been thinking about this for a few days and I've realized, oh yeah, I touch it a lot. I, I sometimes look at it just without even like, I'm like, why am I looking at this? I just did it out of habit, right? And, and it's not, again, it's not bad. It's not a bad thing, but our technology is supposed to help us to communicate better, help us to be more efficient. But instead they've become a symbol of leave me alone. It's become a symbol of, I don't want to talk to you. It's, it's, it's zoomed, it's, it's absorbed our, our, our mind and it's now a distraction that's hum, dehumanizing our interactions. You know, wouldn't it be great if Christians came to be known as people who, who see others, who don't ignore others, who put away their phones long enough to have just a basic human interaction, even with strangers. Uh, I think if Jesus would have had a smartphone, that's what he would have done. Because here he models for us seeing the unseen person. Let's talk about who this person was. Well, first of all, she's a mysterious woman. Uh, we don't know much about her. We don't know her name. We've, through the history, through the years, we've kind of assumed she must have been immoral. But the scripture doesn't call her a prostitute like it calls other women prostitute. The scripture doesn't say she was living in sin, uh, but it tells us some interesting things about her. In that culture, first of all, it says that she'd been, she'd been married five times, which means she had been divorced five times because now she's with a sixth man. And in that culture, the men had control over the divorce, not a woman. So for some reason, men would marry her, find her something flaw in her or something dissatisfying in her, and then they would leave her and divorce her. So she had, so each of those men had for some reason chosen to divorce her or some may have died. Obviously, if someone died, then she could marry someone else. It's possible that she was barren, that she couldn't have any kids. And that was a big reason why men would divorce women in that time. It could have been that she was simply a bad cook. Okay, just kidding. But, you know, whatever reason, we know it's a serious reason that she keeps getting discarded time and time again. She's unwanted. She's one of those persons better left unseen. And the scripture highlights that for us because she goes to the well at noon when nobody else is supposed to be there. She's going alone. She's accepted her unseen status and that's how she wants to keep it. And so there's many reasons why as Jesus interacts in that scene, there's many reasons why he could have just ignored her. He could have rushed on by. It says that the disciples hurried in to buy food. It seems like they were in a hurry to get to where they were going. He was a rabbi and as a rabbi, a spiritual teacher, he was not supposed to talk one-on-one -on -one by himself with a woman. And on top of that, she was a Samaritan. And if you've heard any of this before, I'll just summarize it by saying that Jews, which is what Jesus was, looked down on Samaritans typically as being three things. They thought that they were heretical, that they didn't believe the right things about God. They thought that they were unclean in their lifestyle. And they thought that they were racially inferior. These were the Jews, the people of God, who had this attitude towards their half-brothers or half-cousins, the Samaritans. And so Jesus has many reasons why to just 
look down and move on. And yet we don't see him do that, do we? And it raises the question for us, who are the people in our lives? Who are the people around us who go unseen? Maybe you feel that way right now. Maybe you feel like an unseen person and God invites us to come and see, but, but he wants you to know, first of all, that, that he sees you, that you're uniquely and wonderfully made. You have great capacity because you're made in the image of God and God sees you. And then, but the question also becomes, well, then if God sees me, who, who am I needing to see? Who are the unseen people in my lives that need me to recognize them? Like this woman who was recognized by Jesus. I had an experience recently that made me think hard and, and long about this. I was recently contacted by a young man that I knew many years ago. Uh, and he'd been, you know, he'd been uh, in, involved in leadership and ministry at all sorts of levels. But he was struggling with a question of gender identity. And you know how in, in the Christian church, you know, that, how, how that's so easily put away. Like, we don't want to see that. We don't want to touch that. We don't want to talk about that. Now, granted, a lot of noise is made in our culture about the LGBTQ agenda. And sometimes it's so much noise that we just say, well, you know, we just want to ignore it. We just want to forget it. They're shoving it down our throats. And I get that. But especially I've found that, especially for those people who've had some kind of a church background and are now struggling with gender type issues, it could be very isolating because they don't, they don't feel comfortable in who they are and they don't feel comfortable in the world and they don't feel comfortable in the church that they grew up in. And it's so much easier to just ignore. It, it's too inconvenient to tackle the web of, of thought processes that is involved. In, well, how did you get there? And, and what's your view of God? And what's your view of the Bible? There's so much to unpack. But what I recognize at the end of the day is that this person that I interacted with is one of the unseen. They, they don't feel seen. They don't feel known. They don't feel loved. They feel isolated, at least to the church. And sure, the culture makes a lot of noise which makes us want to turn it off. But when, but when I see Jesus interact with this woman, I'm challenged to say, okay, if someone is in my personal orbit, I cannot suddenly unsee that person. I have to engage like Jesus engaged. But the question is how, right? How do we engage? What, and what did Jesus do here in this scenario? Well, what we see here is that Jesus engages the woman by seeing her unseen pain, uh, Jesus gets her attention more fully when he looks into her heart. We don't know if this was, was some of that supernatural insight that Jesus had, or it was obvious deduction, or he had heard about the re reputation of the woman, but somehow he looks into her heart and he, and he shows her, look, I see you and I know you. I'm not just going to talk to you, but I even know the point of your most vulnerable pain. You've had five husbands, you've been rejected five times, and the man you're with now doesn't want to marry you. He's willing to go there in that initial conversation with that woman. He's willing to speak to the elephant in the room or at the well. And what is her response? I mean, sure, she gets nervous, right? It's awkward when a stranger starts talking to you about deeply personal things. Or imagine for Jesus, it could have been awkward. Or if one of his disciples was there, they could have thought, ooh, wow, we're going there. Okay. It's awkward. It's nervous. But Jesus compels me to do the same and to commit to walking with this person I mentioned, even into their pain. Because it's when we walk along their pain and try to understand and try to, try to have a conversation that we can hopefully have the opportunity to point to Jesus in the same way that Jesus does here with this woman. But as Jesus addresses her unseen pain, how does she respond? It's really interesting. Uh, we, we're not going to read it all necessarily, or we didn't read it earlier, but look at how she reacted. And it's how the average person might react when Jesus suddenly gets very personal 
with our pain. Starting in verse 19, we see the woman have two reactions. Uh, the first thing she says, the woman said to him, sir, now, now he's just told her, he's just told her, look, I know who you are. I know about your husbands. I know your situation. I know your pain. And listen to her response. It's a little strange. The woman said to her, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Okay, that makes sense. But then she goes on a tangent. Our father is worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where we, people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It's like, it's a very interesting exchange because the conversation is going this way and it's an awkward, difficult, nervous conversation. And it suddenly goes this way because the first thing the woman does is she tries to deflect, but she deflects into another awkward conversation. She says, uh, I don't want to talk about that, Jesus. So let's talk about um, uh, religious uh, conflicts. <laughs> you know, where do you worship? Where do I worship? It's kind of a strange segue, right? To get away from one awkward situation, she jumps into another. But Jesus engages her there and he answers a question. He's like, you know, what's interesting is it's not about the place. It's not about your religious tradition. It's about what is God, who is God, and what does he want from us? And here's the great part about it, Jesus says. You can encounter God anywhere, anytime, because that's the kind of people that God delights to come near to. But we're getting off track, right? Here she, she deflects from the conversation about her personal pain by, ha by talking about a religious controversy. And so she tries the second thing. She's like, oh, wow, that's a good answer. So let me say something else. In verse 25, she says, well, I know that Messiah is coming, the Savior, the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And so her second thing is to delay the conversation and to say, you know, uh, when Jesus, when, when the Messiah comes, the Savior that everybody was expecting in that region then he's gonna tell us all the things that we need to know. She, she basically delays and says, you know, let's just talk about this another time. But then Jesus gets right to the point and he says, well, hey, guess what? <laughs> that Messiah that you're looking for, I who speak to you, I am he. I am he. I am that savior that you have longed for for centuries. Now, th this isn't Jesus saying, look at me, I am he. This is Jesus saying, hey, you're just some unknown woman rejected in Samaria. And I'm gonna tell you what very few people know at this point. I'm the one that was sent from God to save the world. What an incredible honor for that woman to get to meet Jesus and to know that he is the savior. You know, when people say, oh, Jesus was a great teacher, but he never claimed to be God. Here's one of those simple examples where he said, that Messiah God that you are waiting for, I am he. He's very clear and he's very direct. And so he addresses the, the deflection and the delays that this woman brings forward. And now is the moment of truth. When Jesus says, hey, I'm the one, now you have to decide. This is the moment that, that encounter, that authentic open moment to decide for her and for us. It's the moment where we know that, hey, Jesus knows us and he loves us anyway, and he calls us to himself. How will we respond? Well, before we respond, it's, it's helpful to know, well, what exactly is Jesus offering here? What exactly was he offering this woman? Not just that, that I see you as an unseen person, not just that I see your unseen pain, but he actually offers her something 
very tangible and very specific. And it reminds us of the, of the difference that Jesus can truly make in our lives if we take him at his offer. Uh, Jesus doesn't offer her just a new theology. He doesn't offer her just a new ethic of rules of do's and don'ts. He offers her a new lifestyle, a hope and a future that starts by receiving the unseen spirit of God into her life. Did you catch that? Look at verse 10. If you look back at verse 10, it says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that also asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, this is a really important phrase here. When Jesus says, I am offering you living water, he's offering her a metaphor for the unseen spirit of God. But what do we mean by that? Well, when he was saying, I offer you living water, it would have been understood in that culture, in that context, as a fresh spring of running water, which would be so much better than the old stagnant water that was in this well. Now here on the screen, you'll see an image of a normal water well that for centuries humans have dug in these kinds of places, right? It's a normal well. You have a round circle. You have you know, something that was dug deep to find the level of water down below. You have a rope and you have a, a, you know, a jar or something that you lower in there. It's a lot of effort. It takes a lot of effort to get this kind of water and you hope that it doesn't run out. But by contrast, there's something natural called an artesian well. Now, I, I looked this up and I thought this was really fascinating. Artesian wells, they don't need pumps to push up the water to the surface. They don't need ropes to pull the water out. This is because they just naturally flow outward because there's so much pressure in the aquifer below it that it pushes the water out without any assistance. And that's a picture of an artesian well. Now imagine the contrast, right? Imagine the first settlers who are out there somewhere and they're looking for water and they're digging a well and they dig and they dig and they finally find something way down there. And then every day they have to do what? They have to get the jars, they have to lower them, they have to pull them up. I've seen pictures where they would set it up where, where like the camels would be tied to the ropes so that they could heave these huge, huge buckets of water out. It takes huge effort. Now imagine other settlers coming into the region and saying, oh yeah, we're gonna have to do that. Well, let's go settle where we're gonna settle. And as they get there, they scoop one time and suddenly water starts coming out. They're like, whoa, is that how it's supposed to work? I don't know, let's see. And, and as they realize, they discover the first artis, artesian well. Can you imagine being that person? Would you look back at the others and say, hey, should we go tell, um, nah, it's all right. <laughs> here we are, we've discovered this well that it springs up by itself and there's no effort needed because it's being pushed out on its own. That's the image that Jesus gives this woman. She says, you're at this well where you're trying with self-effort, you're trying to, to reach this water that you need every day to survive. And he says, the spirit of God, the unseen spirit of God can come into you like a living water, like this flow of water that's pushed out naturally, that's pushed out on its own. Uh, N.T. Wright, a great New Testament scholar says, if you want to take Jesus up on his offer of living water bubbling up within you, you will need to get rid of the stale, moldy, stagnant water that you're currently living off of. You can't have both wells at the same time. And that's what's interesting here is Jesus gives her a choice. He says, look, you can keep drawing this water, but I have a different kind of water that I can give to you, the living water of God. You have to choose one. You have to choose the lifestyle that you're going to follow, the Jesus way 
or your own way. And, and, and what we find here is Jesus pointing again, say, you know, it doesn't matter about what holy buildings, what holy temples, what holy mountains are out there. They're pointing you, they're supposed to point you to the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is about living water, the spirit of God living in you. Jesus' offer to this woman, especially in the context that we've described, is truly remarkable. And it's a monumental shift in human history when Jesus comes on the scene and he says, look, the presence of God is not just in temples. It's not in sacred mountains. In fact, the living God can be present within you like a spring of living water. Stop and think about how monumental that message was. Humanity has always seen God as out there. God as far removed if they even believe in God. Or they have all these myths and legends about these gods that are angry with humanity and separated from us and want to punish us. And there's, it's so difficult to please those gods. And yet here Jesus says, the God of the Bible wants to reside within you. What a monumental shift. Paul goes on to explain this in Colossians 1, 26 and 27, where he says, that is the mystery that has been kept hidden from ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints in the New Testament church. God wanted to make known to them the glorious riches of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. God can now be in you. And maybe if you've been a Christian a long time, you're like, yeah, I know that's true. But, but is, it, is it flowing in us like a, like a spring of living water or has it become stagnant and just something that we refer to in past tense? Jesus, I think, reminds us this morning that as we tap into the living water, that it makes all the difference, his presence in us, working through us and reaching others. So what comes next in this story of the Samaritan woman? What is the result of her interaction with Jesus and her accepting this invitation to receive the living water, the unseen spirit of God in her? Well, John 4, 28 tells us this. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town. Do you see that? She left that because she'd received something different. She went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior? So they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him as they come back saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, something really interesting, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And it says in verse 39 that many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Once, once we have seen the unseen spirit of God powering our life with living water to the surface, things begin to change. Once this woman accepts the invitation of Jesus, things begin to change. And we begin to see God's unseen power at work in several ways. First, we see that the woman has a fresh, bold confidence. Think about that for a moment. She was the woman who was unseen, who was unwanted. She was the village outcast. And she suddenly becomes the village herald, the ambassador for the Messiah, a missionary for the true God. And many people in her village find faith in Jesus because of her. We see that Jesus himself is re-energized by the encounter. Uh, there's a power of God at work when we, when we do God's will in a way that nourishes us and fills us up. Have you ever had that experience 
where you served someone or you did something and you felt really good about it. And, and you see that Jesus, you see Jesus reflecting that in this passage. He says, I just had an incredible encounter with someone and she has received living water and he is re-energized by that encounter. We also see the power of God at work because many people in the town believe. And I wish we'd have time to think about how the town was changed as a result of that. But we know throughout history how communities and, and places have been impacted because people believed in Jesus. And we see lastly that this woman lives on as someone who is seen, someone who is known. And so she begins to see others and offer them the living water as well. Who do you relate to in this story this morning? Do you relate to the woman kind of unseen, unknown, feeling marginalized, feeling on the sideline, maybe even growing up in church, but feeling like you don't quite fit or connect? Or do you, do you recognize, do you, do you um, feel like Jesus in this story where, where you're being compelled to see the unseen persons around you and to respond in a way that sees their pain and that offers them a living hope? It's been said that there's two kinds of people in the world who walk into a room. One of them walks into a room and says, here I am. Maybe they have a big ego. Maybe they love to talk about themselves. They always like to tell another, you know, a story that's better than your story. Uh, oh, I've got one better than that. Or maybe it's just somebody who's got great charisma and just people look at them and say, wow, that person just walked into the room. Here I am. But then there's other people who walk into a room and say, there you are. I notice you. I see you. Tell me about you. Are you a here I am kind of person or are you a there you are? kind of person. Our, our social media culture fosters that first one, doesn't it? <laughs> Here I am, and let me broadcast it to the world. Let me show you more of me. Uh, Jesus calls us to be, there you are, people. To look at, to notice, especially to see the unseen people around us. To come alongside their pain and to say, Jesus has living water. Trade your old stagnant water for the living water that he is and that he offers. Our world needs more there you are people who will put their phones down, who will see others, who will acknowledge others. And maybe, just maybe in those interactions, God will use us to help people find living hope, to help people find eternal life, to help people's lives be changed by the power of Jesus. I'd like to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. As you think through with the things we've talked about this morning, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just finish this message in each one of us personally. How do you need to respond? What is God saying to you? What will stick with you this week? I do wanna challenge you to think about who will you see this week? Are there unseen persons in your life that are easy to ignore, but perhaps you need to recognize and walk alongside? Uh, whose pain will you allow to become real to you this week, that you could walk alongside them and maybe offer them living water? Or how does the Spirit of God want to work in you this week? Is, have you been living off of old stagnant water wells when Jesus says, I can just produce in you living water, energy, strength, wisdom, hope, encouragement? What do you have to do to tap into that living water this week? Lord, I pray that as we listen to your spirit, as we hear your voice, 
Help us to come and see the unseen, the unseen people, the unseen power, the unseen spirit of God. Help us to respond to you this week that our lives may be changed and that others will be blessed. In Jesus' name.